you know, as it starts out, it tells us the story of these dry bones. But there's another part of Ezekiel that we haven't always read. And I want to put just a little bit of background to this uh, chapter in Ezekiel, because we're going to read the whole chapter this morning, and it's going to be awesome. So let me tell you about Ezekiel. It was written after the defeat of the southern kingdom called Judah by the Babylonians, and you'll remember that in your Bible. Whenever we read Daniel, Daniel talks about that, about being uh, in captivity for those 70 years. Jeremiah prophesied about it. And so there was a southern and a northern kingdom. The southern kingdom was taken by Babylon. The northern kingdom had been defeated long before by the Assyrians. And so the two kingdoms were now conquered and all of God's people were in captivity. So after King Solomon, who was David's son, after he died, that's when the split took place. And in the two kingdoms of Israel, you had the 10 tribes, which were called Israel or Ephraim after Joseph's son. They were called Israel and uh, they were the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom was the tribes of Judah and Benjamin and they were called Judah. So you had Israel and you had Judah. Now this is important to our story. So we're, we're setting it up here. So why did the kingdom of Israel split? Very important part here. It split because under Rehoboam, who was King Solomon's son, there was heavy, harsh leadership. There was heavy taxes. There was all kinds of heavy weights upon the people. And they rebelled. And they said, you know, King Rehoboam, he said, should I be a ruler like my father or should I be gentle? And his advisors gave him two different pieces of advice. And he took the advice of his young friends who said, if your father ruled with a, an iron fist, you need to tell them that my pinky is bigger than my father's thigh. So he told them, I'm going to be even worse. And so that caused a split. And it was really like a civil war in the kingdom of Israel. And so some kings were good, some kings were bad, and all through the Bible, in the book of Kings and, and Chronicles and all of that, we see all of the different kings and how they ruled the people. And some were good and some were bad, and really of the southern, I think of the northern, almost all of them were bad, right? <laughs> so they led the people in different ways, but they did not lead the people after God. So now we come to the place where we're reading Ezekiel chapter 37. Now Ezekiel comes and Ezekiel is a priest, but God calls him to be a prophet. In Ezekiel chapter 1, he gives him a vision of the splendor and the glory of God. And he moves him from being a priest into the place of being a prophet. But he tells him in chapter 3 some things that are very important to his ministry. He says, you will be a watchman. And he says, you will be a prayer. He says, but you will not rebuke the children. You will continue to speak my word to the children of Israel. And so Ezekiel is at the same time as Daniel. They probably knew each other, although we don't see that they knew each other in the word. They probably did because they were both under Babylonian captivity at the exact same time. They both were preaching the message of God. And so Ezekiel is a watchman. And you know what a watchman is, right? It's just what Pastor Mark said, that we fathers need to, you fathers need to be, not we. You fathers need to be a prayer. A watchman is a prayer. It's a person who comes before the Lord, who sees out ahead, and who prays out ahead. And so he was a watchman. 
And he came and uh, ministered to the people. He spoke God's word faithfully. Even through many of his messages, he acted them out before the people. But in chapter 25, the word came that the temple had been destroyed. And they lost hope. The people lost hope. They said, if our temple is gone and our beautiful city of Jerusalem is gone, if it's all gone, then what hope is there for us? And so now Ezekiel steps up and he says, there is hope and your hope is in God. And he begins to preach a message of hope and of revival and of restoration and of redemption. And he's not just talking about for the people in present day, he's talking about for the people of our day too. Because as we look at the Old Testament and we look at those prophecies, they are for present day, but there's a double meaning to them. They also apply to the church and they apply to us today. So that's where we pick up in Ezekiel chapter 37. And we see Ezekiel bringing a message of hope to the people. And so it says in verse 1, the hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. And then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? Now what a question. Wow. What a question, because what's it going to take for these bones to live? What's it going to take for these bones to rise up and to live? It's going to take resurrection life. And so God is now bringing a question to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And this prophet has to make a determination in his heart. Is God big enough to raise up from the ashes everything that the enemy has destroyed? Is he big enough? And you know what? He's contemplating that, and he's tossing it around, and this is what he says. It says, he said to me, can these bones live? So I answered, oh God, you know. What a safe answer, right? (laughs) Oh God, only you know that answer to that question. I don't know, but you know. And then it says in verse 4, again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now, as I was reading this, I just, this stood out to me. Again, he said to me, did you hear God say prophesy before this moment? He didn't, but he must have heard it in his spirit. He must have known something in his spirit that he was almost afraid to step out on, you know? And so he says, again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Surely, or thus says the Lord to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. (laughs) And suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. That word rattle is the same word earthquake. (laughs) And it says, indeed, as I looked 
The sinews and the flesh came over them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. You know, when he spoke that word, when he began to prophesy that word, things began to take place. But it was a process of things taking place and coming to completion. And do you know that he had to prophesy it all the way through? He had to continue to prophesy. So what is it to prophesy? What does it mean to prophesy? You know, sometimes we're intimidated by that word and we think it, it means like when I stand up in church and, you know, the word of the Lord and it comes through me and I'm, and I'm saying, you know, thus says God to the people. Well, that's one way of prophesying where you're predicting something or you're telling something that God is telling in your spirit for the body. But here, all that really Ezekiel did was he spoke God's word to the circumstance. And God's word can come to you in your spirit in a moment in the service, but guess what? God's word is written for us all throughout the Bible. It's written for us, and it's right there. And when we take that powerful living word of God, which Hebrews 4.12 tells us is sharper than a two-edged sword, that it discerns between soul and spirit, that word goes to the spirit, and it begins to cause things to happen. And so we shouldn't be intimidated by prophecy because prophecy simply means to speak God's word. And guess what? We're all called to prophesy. Yes. And we can prophesy over whatever God is leading us to prophesy to. And when we prophesy the word of the Lord, life begins to come. Life begins to change things. It begins to work and move in ways that we cannot. Ezekiel could not make flesh and sinews come onto those bones, but the word of the Lord did. And so, back to Ezekiel 37, 9, it says, also he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Oh, I love that. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, this says, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Wow. And what a phrase, prophesy to the breath. Whose breath? What's he talking about? It's that Hebrew word, ruach, and it means spirit. He says, prophesy to the spirit, but it's not just talking about our spirit. It's talking about the spirit of God. Prophesy to the spirit of God and tell the breath where to move. Tell him where to breathe, because when you prophesy to the breath, life comes, and and life fills a situation. It's the Holy Spirit coming into a place and moving across a people here, a people that were being raised up, an army of dry bones because he prophesied to the breath. The breath is the spirit. It's the wind of God. So he prophesies to the breath, and he tells the breath where to go. He says, breathe on these that were slain. Breathe on these. You know, in John chapter 6, 63, it says this. It says, it is the spirit who gives life. 
The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Do you know every time we speak the word of God, we are speaking spirit and we are speaking life into a situation. And that's so important for us to understand today. When we speak this, the word of God, we speak spirit and life into places. So the principle here is when we prophesy that God sends the wind, he sends the breath, he sends the life, and he revives that's what he does when we speak the word of God. He sends resurrection life. You know, we think of it about Jesus in the tomb, and that was resurrection life. It raised him. But what does the Bible say to us about resurrection life? It says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and quickens your mortal body. It quickens life. It quickens life in us. That means there's healing working in us. That means every kind of restoration and revival God is stirring us with. There's resurrection life on the inside of us. And that's why when we speak God's word, that resurrection life travels. And we prophesy to the breath, and the breath moves. The breath of God moves over a place. You know, it's that same breath that was breathed into that lifeless body of Adam that gave him a spirit and a life. It's that same breath. So why were these bones dry? How did they get into this place to begin with? Why were these, these bones in a place where this whole army of the Lord was as dry as the desert? How did they get there? It's an important question for us to ask in this story. And in verse 11, it is answered. And it says this. It says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, Our bones are dry. Our hope is lost. And we ourselves are cut off. How did the bones get dry? How did the army experienced death to that degree? Well, here's a clue. They began saying something. And what did they say? They said, indeed, our bones are dry. We're cut off from God. We are, all hope is lost. All hope is lost. You know, what we say is so very important. And what we say right now, right now, is so very important. It's critical. In reading this chapter, God spoke three things to me, and it begins with this point. The first one, these are two, three really encouraging points this morning. The first one is death. <laughs> death, I know. <laughs> death. But you know what? They're experiencing death, and why? Because death came long ago to this army. Death came the moment that they cut off their relationship with God by choosing their own way and not choosing God's way. And do you know that that's the same thing that, that happened with Adam and Eve? Death came to them, separation from God, and it was called death. Death came to them, a spiritual death, because they separated themselves by their own desires, their own thoughts, and their own actions. And they didn't receive God's wisdom. 
So death came long before this moment of dry bones to these people, and death was affecting their relationship. It touched their bodies, or excuse me, it touched their spirit before it ever touched their bodies. They were spiritually dead, and now it's the evidence of that being coming to the end of it, and, and, and we see these dry, dead bones of an army. So it's important for us to recognize where our relationship is, where our prayer time is, where we're listening to God, where we're hearing God, what our thought life is. And like Jerry ministered last Sunday night, where our choices are taking us in the form of purity and holiness. Those are important things. And, you know, I remember a time when, you know, we were so convicted about listening to music or, or watching movies that God was not in it, right? And then we saw one, we saw two, and we thought, oh, that's not that bad. Oh, yeah, I can tolerate that. You know, I can put up with a, a few bad words if it's a good storyline. <laughs> yeah. Things like that lead us into the place of death, but we don't see death happening immediately. Death is a process, and death took place for them because their relationship suffered, because they did not choose God first. When we put him first, we put ourselves in a place of life. Galatians tells us about what death in life looks like. And you know, some of those things in the works of the flesh, they just don't seem that bad. Some do, but some don't. We've got to examine ourselves. So we don't put ourselves in a place where death is working in us. The second thing I saw was distraction. And this is a place that God was really speaking to me because I can get into this place so easily. What did they say? They said, indeed, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Why did they begin to say those things? Because of everything that was going on around them. Because... Now Jerusalem is gone. Now the temple, the temple that Solomon built, our beautiful temple, it's gone. All of those things were affecting what they said. And they said, we are cut off. Our hope is lost. We are dry bones. So God started showing me and saying, when you watch the news, what are you saying? Okay, I'm sorry, you guys. It came to me first. <laughs> when you watch the news, what are you saying? Are you saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe what's going on. What's our nation coming to? What is happening? Has everyone gone crazy? <laughs> I mean, I'm watching and saying stuff like that. And God's convicting me. And he's saying, you speak to those dry bones. You speak to those dry bones. Because the world hasn't gone crazy. They're dead. <laughs> they don't know what you know. And if you don't speak to those dry bones, then death is going to encroach on every place. But if you speak, then what do you do? You release the life. You release the breath. You release restoration. You release revival. You release something different. And so... Pastor Mark can attest to it. I'm still watching the news. I, I just want to see what's happening. But I'm saying, oh, God, help our nation. 
Thank you for helping us, Lord. Speak to those people and send laborers to them, Lord. Lord, change things. I pray, Father God, that breath and life would come in all of this, Father, that life would come from it. I'm speaking something different because distraction is a tool of the enemy. The enemy wants us distracted and he wants us in a place where we look at everything else and we speak our own defeat. If we speak our own defeat because we are distracted by what the devil is doing, then it's our own fault that we're dead. <laughs> We've got to say something different. And notice this too. It said the whole house of Israel was speaking this way. The whole house. But I'll tell you, you get one person in your house speaking this way, and guess what? <laughs> the whole house starts to turn. The whole house starts to turn. So what happens if you start speaking life? What happens if you start praying? What happens if you start prophesying to the breath on where to go? Oh, God, move in Seattle. Oh, God, move in New York. Father, we pray that healing would come. We, we release your healing anointing. What happens? Well, now we're sending the breath. And one person in your household starts it, and guess what? Everybody else will get on board. Everybody else, it'll catch. It'll change. It'll be doing something. So, back to Ezekiel 3, uh, 24. And we're going to go back to... Uh, 37, but this is what the Lord told Ezekiel. And I loved this when I read this. He said, Then the Spirit entered me and he set me on my feet and he spoke with me and he said to me, Go shut yourself inside your house and you, O son of man, surely they will put ropes on you and bind you with them so that you cannot go out among them. I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and not one to rebuke them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who hears, let him hear, and he who refutes, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. Now, I like this because God said, Ezekiel, I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you what to do, and I am going to make it so that you cannot speak a negative word over this people. He said, I'm going to tell you what to do, and they will make their own decisions. But for you, you have to speak the word of the Lord. You must speak the word of the Lord. And you know what? Sometimes we look around and we think, you know, but this is happening, but that's happening, and now they're doing this, and now that. God, will it ever end? <laughs> You know what? The same word came to me. You can't do anything about that. People will make their own decisions, but you speak the word of the Lord. Yes. And I like this. It says, I'm, he says, you'll even be shut up in your house. You know, guess what? We just experienced that. Yes. <laughs> and during that time, did we draw closer to the Lord? Yes. Well, I hope so, because if we did, it was for a purpose. And it's for this purpose, the now, that's about to be seen. Because God is bringing a revival of his people. And guess what? We're at the front of it. We're at the front if we'll be those who will speak the word of the Lord. So back to Ezekiel. 
Ezekiel 37, 12. It says, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and I will cause you to come up from your graves and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place in you you in your own land, and you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Wow. So this begs us to ask the question, what are we saying? What is it producing? And what would God have us to say? Because if we ask that question and we examine our heart, the things that we say will produce, and they will produce the graves being opened. They will produce the things that God says, the life of God, the power of God, they will produce. So then back to Ezekiel in uh, 37 verse 15. Now he goes into something different and it looks like maybe it's a whole different story but it fits together so perfectly. It says, again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, as for you, son of man, Uh, as for you, son of man, take a stick for yourself and ride on it for Judah and for the children of Israel and his companions. And take the other stick, the house of Israel and his companions, and join them together, excuse me, join them one to another for yourself into one stick. And they will become one in your hand. And when the children of your people speak to you saying, will you not show us what this means? Say to them, thus says the Lord, surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel and his companions, and I will join with it the stick of Judah, and I will make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand. And the sticks on which you write will be on your hand before their eyes. Thus say to them, Thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel and one king shall be king over them and they shall no longer be two nations nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again." Okay, so the last part of this is about two kingdoms. The first part is about God's resurrection life coming upon those dry bones and it raising into an army. The second part of this is about two kingdoms. And what were those two kingdoms? It's what we said in the very beginning. They're Joseph or Ephraim and Judah. And they had had such a civil war, such disagreement, such, such uh, that it caused them to go different directions. A people that God had called together, it caused them to go different directions. And God said, I want you to take these two sticks, one that represents the northern and one that represents the southern, and I want you to put them together into one stick. And I want them to see that they are one and that they shall never be divided because God's people need to be one, right? And he says one well, over six times in this passage. He says they're going to be one. They're going to be one in my hand. They'll be one in my hand. They'll be one stick. They will be one nation, and they will have one king. He says, take the sticks and make them one. What is this telling us? That God is not about having separate little kingdoms. God is about having one 
kingdom. So the third word that the enemy uh, tries to work in, first death, and then distraction and division. And do we see it happening right now in our nation? Do we see division? What does God say about that? He says that we need to be one. Because do you know that every single one of us, and I know you know this, we're created in the likeness and image of God. And it is our diversity. And it is our differences that represent the glory and the majesty and the bigness of God. And so we have got to come together so that we can be a full representation of him. We've got to. But how can this happen? How can it happen when there seems to be such divide? How can it happen? Philippians 2.2 tells us this. He says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others as better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. How will it happen that we come together? He said the clue right here, it's under one king, and that king is King Jesus. We must be like-minded. We must be Christ-minded. We must have the mind of Christ, and we have to look out for others, and we have to put our own thoughts and our own things aside, just like Jesus did, and we have to die to self so that we can live for him. Jesus, it says, he didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God. No, he was equal with God. But guess what? He took upon the heart of a servant, and he came for every one of us. So what is he telling us? How do we unite? We've got to have the mind of Christ. And it will take death for us, just like it take, took death for Jesus. It takes death of our opinions, it might take death of Facebook. <laughs> ah, no, not the godly instrument of Facebook. <laughs> but you know what? It's going to take death to some things. It's going to take like Ezekiel saying, I will not say anything, but if the Lord doesn't tell me first. It's going to take us disciplining ourselves to the place where we have the mind of Christ. I love something that Lisa Bevere said in our Girl Talk. She said, it takes more strength to lift someone than to hold them down. And you know that's what Jesus did for us? He said, I'm up here, and you guys are down there, but I'm going to come down there, and I'm going to lift you up to my level, to my glory. I'm going to come because I have resurrection life working in me. And I'm going to come in the midst of all of you. And I'm going to identify with you. And I'm going to lift you up with that resurrection life. Oh, man. So how does this work? How does it work? You know, we all have to take everything 
that we have been upset and offended by to the throne of God. Now, this is a great book. It's called Power of Identification with Christ by Mark Hankins. If you are a father and you have sons and daughters who are upper elementary to high school age, I challenge you to take this book and to go through it with them like a devotional. Read it and talk about the chapters. You know, our youth are struggling to find their place in this world right now, to find where they fit and to find what the importance of their life is, to find, you know, what, what mark am I going to make? Well, they've got to make a mark for the Lord. They've got to know who they are. And this book will help them find who they really identify with. Because the world says, identify here and identify here and identify here. But I tell you what, we are God's. And our children are his. And they have been set apart for this day for God's purpose. And if they don't know what that is, then it's our responsibility to put that in them so that they can live for him. And this book will help you do that. And he says here, he says, some people identify with what has happened to them. And they say, I was abused. And then they join a support group where their identity gets worse because everybody there is abused. <laughs> However, your identification with Christ changes everything. Doesn't it change everything? And every one of us have experienced that. We took all of the pains. I tell you, in this world, every single person has been hurt or abused in some way. But we take it to the throne room. We take it to him. And he says, it doesn't mean that you were not abused, that you didn't have a problem with drinking, or you were not divorced, or people go through those things. But your identification with Christ is stronger than that. You could say that what happened to you in Christ is bigger than anything else that has ever happened to you. Amen. Isn't that true? Amen. Do we believe what we say at the end of every single service? That what God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall? Do we really believe that? Because it won't just be at the end of the service then. It'll be all throughout everything that we do. Yeah everything that we do. I, I'm kind of fired up right now, you guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, man, <laughs> God needs us. He's doing something through us. Oh, boy. So back to Ezekiel. We're going to read the end here. Ezekiel 37, verse 23. It says, they shall not defile themselves. Let me tell you why this works when we identify with him. Because they shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned, and I will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. David, my servant, shall be king over them. And you know that's talking about Jesus. Jesus came through the lineage and the house of David. And he's talking about Jesus. He says, my servant shall be king over them. Because at this point, David was dead. David was long dead. He's not talking about David. He's talking about Jesus. And it says, they shall have one shepherd. And they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt. And they shall dwell there, they and their children 
and their children's children forever. My servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. How is peace going to come to the world? Through Jesus. An everlasting covenant with them. I will establish and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. Guess what? He's not talking about a temple. He's talking about the presence of God dwelling in us. Dwelling in us. Resurrection life lives in you today. And you have the ability, because of that, to speak to dry bones. You have the ability, because of that, to live in this day. God put you here for a purpose. In fact, it tells us in uh, Acts 17, 26, this is out of the Young's Literal Translation, it says, He made also of one blood every nation of men to dwell upon the face of the earth, having ordained times before appointed and their bounds of their dwellings. What is that saying to us? It's saying that God put Kevin and Danielle Chi, he put Alan Wolf, he put the Sanchez's, he put Cassie and Jerry, he put Lauren here for this time. And he said, you'll live in this place. I created the boundary of your dwelling. I ordained that you be here at this time in this day to be part of what I am doing. Oh man, he's doing a good work. And although it looks like the world is going a different direction, they're angry and they're in fear because they don't know him because they're dead. And we have to speak the life. We have to. So Ezekiel ends and he says this, my tabernacle shall also be with them. Indeed, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the nations also will know that I am Lord. Sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Wow. You know, a while back, Pastor Mark and I had some friends that were having a disagreement. And they were ministers. And they were having a disagreement. And people were taking sides. And they were saying, well, I agree with this person. Well, no, I agree with this person. Well, well, I agree with this person. And they were taking sides. And we felt like we were in the middle of it because they were both our friends. And they were close friends. And we looked at each other and we said, we are not going to let somebody make us take a side. We are going to stand on the side of Jesus. We're going to stand on the side of love. And we're going to love everyone. And we're not going to look and we're not going to condemn. We're going to stand with Jesus. And you know what? I believe that same decision is in front of us right now. Are we going to stand on the side of Jesus? Are we going to stand on the side of love? And I want to tell you, don't you let anybody make you choose a side. Don't you let anybody, because in choosing a side, you will choose to put one person or one party aside. You stand for everyone, because that's what Jesus did. 
And remember the story about the two sticks? He said, I'm going to take this nation, and I'm going to take this nation, and I want you to put them together so that everybody can see that these are one. Well, guess what? Jesus did that. But it didn't look like this. It looked like this. It was a cross. And there were two sticks that were put together to unite all humanity, to unite us. And that cross still stands. That cross stands today. We have to take the side of the cross. So Revelation 5, 6, no, I'm sorry, 9 and 10 says this. And they sang a new song. <laughs> What's our new song? I hear dry bones rattling. <laughs> Right? They sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons. I love how the Anabi says this. It says, You purchased persons. Every one of us is a person that he purchased with his blood from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. Church, I want to challenge you today to stand, to declare, to prophesy to the breath because God is doing something and we truly are in the last days. There's all kinds of things happening that indicate that and uh, we are truly in the last days, but these are the days of revival. Yes. These are the days of the greatest revival that the earth has ever seen, and this church will be on the front of it. Yes. We will be because we will love and we will lift and we will reach people with the goodness of God and with the love of Jesus. We will not take sides. We will take the side of Christ. Yes. Praise God. <laughs> I know you believe it, and I know you're, you're with us in that. And you know what? Get ready, because God is doing amazing things, and he's going to do it through you. Prophesy. Amen. Well, why don't you stand with me? If there's anybody that doesn't know the Lord today, I want to pray with you, because... New life begins with receiving him. It's not just resurrection life that, that lives in us because we're humans. It lives in us because we have received Jesus. And so I want to pray this prayer. And for everyone that's watching online, if you have not prayed this prayer, then today is your day. It's your day, and it's a great day. And so let's pray together before we're released. Father, we thank you that you're doing a great work. And that work, Father, I want it to be done in me. I receive your son. I thank you for the life he gave, his life, and that he was resurrected so that I could have life. I receive him now. And in the name of Jesus, I declare that I am your child. I will not be used for the enemy's purpose, but I am yours. Thank you, Lord, 
for redeeming, for restoring, and forgiving me. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, then you are born again. And being born again is the place where resurrection life starts. It's working in you now. Praise God. Well, if you prayed that prayer online, make sure that you uh, go to our app or to our website and click share your story. We want to share some books with you. We want to share some things with you, some good news with you. All right, church. God is good, isn't he? <laughs> Amen. Let's say it like we mean it. <laughs> what God did in Christ Jesus, what God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds, far exceeds. Any, damage done to me any damage done to me by Adam's fall. By Adam's fall. Amen.